begin. Welcome to Mass Ave. We are here bringing you conservative news, policy, and insight from the steps of Capitol Hill. I'm your host, Emily Vanderbush. And I'm Tommy Binion. Welcome to our show today. We have an interesting show lined up. We um, It's regu- deregulation day, excuse me. So we have a great interview that we did with Diane Katz, Heritage's regulatory expert. We're going to be playing that in a little bit. But before we do, we wanted to um, touch base on what happened in Las Vegas late last night and early this morning. Some tragic events unfolded. That's right. Uh, you know, this podcast was supposed to be about what it's normally about. Uh, interesting uh, policy perspectives from interesting and very smart people at the Heritage Foundation. And we're going to bring you that interview in a little bit. Uh, But, you know, this is one of the more tragic days in recent history. Um, There are sort of breathtaking and horrifying scenes playing out on cable news. Um, And I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it a little bit hate waking up to news like this. I hate uh, when our days become about talking about news stories like this. I, um, But um, we are all praying for the people affected by this. We're praying for our nation. We're praying for our leaders. We're praying for the first responders, for the victims, for their families. Uh, and so I think it's appropriate to spend some time um, thinking about it, talking about it, going through um, our perspective on it. Yeah, and speaking of perspective, we had Heritage's James Carafano, our DHS, excuse me, DHS um, national security expert, and he gave this statement that we just wanted to go ahead and read off, where he says, "Now is the time to care for the injured. Donate blood if you are local and able, and send our strongest thoughts and prayers to those in Las Vegas." Meanwhile, the Las Vegas Police Department and public safety officials will focus on their critical tasks. And he does mention donating blood. I saw some images on Twitter today um, where people already lined out the door to donate blood as a response to this in Las Vegas. Um, So the community is definitely jumping in. Yeah, that's going to be important. Um, The information we have at the time we're recording this podcast is that 50 people were killed and 400 people were taken to the hospital um, and we know that gunshots uh, lead to excessive blood loss. You know, blood transfusion is one of the things that saved Steve Scalise's life. Um, we know that from his remarks on the on the House floor last week. He just returned. Uh, he being the victim of a shooting himself, um, he just returned to his work as the House Majority Whip and made a very emotional. Uh, uh, return speech on the floor of the house and and clearly blood was a was an important factor there he also said by the way i thought um poignantly that uh, brad winstrup who uh did respond to injuries like this on the battlefield was able to apply a tourniquet uh that um congressman scalise believes saved his life Hmm. so um even in the midst of tragedy uh in horrifying events, uh, Congressman Scalise found a way to remind us uh, that, that God is present and um, remind folks that uh, uh, there, there are um, ways that we can acknowledge that, even even in the face of, of tragedy like this. But in Vegas last night, a horrifying scene, um, one that uh, has us all sort of sort of reeling. Yeah, and obviously we'll have our heritage experts able to provide more analysis on this as more facts come out. But for now, needless to say, our, our thoughts and prayers are going out to everyone involved there. President Trump, for his yeah. uh, for his part, um, tweeted my warmest condolences and sympathies to the victims and families of the terrible Las Vegas shooting. 
God bless you. And indeed, may God bless the victims and our nation. And moving on to some of the other news that's going on. Um, As I said earlier, it is President Trump is giving a cut the red tape day speech, or at least he was. I'm not sure if that if that's changed at all. Um, Regulations, apparently a a big topic for the White House this week. Tommy, what's what's your most hated regulation? My most hated regulation. Uh, Gosh. That's a tough question, Emily. Yeah. Uh, there, there are many of them. I'm sure some that affect me that I don't even know about. Yeah. Um, my most hated regulation. Well, I think the one, uh, the the biggest one with a with a with a large policy impact is Waters of the U.S. Okay. Uh, of course, this is a, a dramatic overreach from the federal government. They've defined um, navigable waters as bodies of water that are hydrologically connected. That's an interesting turn of phrase there, hydrologically connected. Does that mean that uh, two raindrops touching each other makes a r- regulatable body of water? Does that mean that the uh, I watered my grass this weekend. I'm trying to grow more grass. Does that mean I created a uh, body of water that the EPA wants to regulate in my front yard? I'm not sure, but uh, that one's going to be in the Supreme Court this year. That's okay. why I bring that up. So, uh, yeah, I, I, maybe that's my most hated uh, regulation. Do you have one? Uh, You know... I like you said, there's so many that are out there that impact our lives that we don't really know about. But fortunately, Diane Katz will be here in a little bit to kind of break down some of those regulations. So maybe we can revisit what our most disliked regulation is after that. Good. Well, yeah. here's one thing we do know: regulations are on the decline. Yes. Under President Trump, uh, he's got an executive order that says for every new regulation his administration puts out, they're going to delete two. Love it. Uh, let's make it three. But for now, it's it's delete two, and that's relieving regulatory burden. He also repealed uh, via his signature on Congressional Review Act resolution, resolutions 14 of President Obama's most, most harmful regulations. So a very good anti-regulatory program over there in this administration. Great news for businesses and families um, getting out from under the sort of crushing burden of that. I'm sure yeah. Diane's going to get into all of that, but, uh, it's, a, it's, um, what we changed the name of the heritage product, red, na- red tape rising to That's red right. tape receding. Yeah. You know, can we take our ball and go home yet? <laughs> maybe, maybe soon. Um, so what else is going on, Tommy on the Hill? I know last week there was a lot of buzz about tax reform, did the House GOP, they release their tax plan? Yeah, not just the House. It's, and, a, it's a unified framework between mm-hmm. the the principles on this subject matter in the House and the Senate and in the administration. We call that group the Big Six. Um, it's uh, the Speaker and the Majority Leader, the Chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, the Chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Secretary of the Treasury, uh, and the Chairman of the uh, NEC at the White House. So, um they have a tax plan that uh, that most conservatives, most Republicans here in town have fully embraced. Um, it, it, it it does a lot of good, cutting yeah. cutting corporate rates, cutting into you know uh, making sure that individuals and families will pay less taxes on a more simplified system. Um, on the other end of of that framework will be explosive explosive economic growth, um, and we're really excited about that. This week, though, in order to get there, the House has to pass a budget resolution, then the Senate has to pass a budget resolution. They have to match. Um, That resolution has to sort of set the stage for tax reform under reconciliation. And so there's a lot of levers you can pull in that budget uh, that'll dictate sort of 
the four corners of the of the process for processing uh, tax reform. And so um, a, a lot of news will be made this week as the House uh, will attempt to pass its budget on the floor. There'll be a budget from the Republican Study Committee, which is very close to the Heritage's blueprint for balance that gets a vote on the House floor. So big day for fiscal conservatism in the House. And then for their part, the Senate will mark up their bill uh, in the budget committee. And that bill, that includes um, a decline in revenue, uh, which will make room for a $1.5 trillion tax cut, uh, which, which is good news. Uh, as we like to say, we don't have, uh, in terms of deficits, we don't have a tax problem. We have a spending problem. Um, and so um, needing to make room for tax reform uh, is, is good for the Senate budget. But two more things that are happening in the House. Uh, one is that the House is going to take a vote on something called the, the Pain-Capable Abortion Ban Act. This is a bill that bans abortions after 20 weeks. Um, uh, babies uh, still in the womb can feel pain at 20 weeks. They can feel pain earlier, but uh, um, they're, they're victims of the gruesome reality of abortion. And so um, having that debate on the House side and having that vote uh, will be good uh, for the pro-life cause. We're excited to have that vote. And then the last thing is the Homeland Security Committee is going to mark up a $10 billion border wall. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's a big deal for President Trump's agenda. Uh, we'll see what happens with that bill. We'll see what happens with the, with the markup. But the president's agenda is definitely making progress uh, in the Congress. Busy as always over here on Mass Ave. Uh, now, I guess, is a great time to go ahead and transition to our interview with Diane Katz. So go ahead and roll the interview. Today, we are talking about regulations. It is deregulation day at the White House, and President Trump is going to be highlighting some of the steps he's taken to uh, cut back on regulations under the Obama administration. Here to talk about regulations is Diane Katz. She is the Heritage Foundation Senior Research Fellow in Regulatory Policy in the Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies. She has analyzed and written on public policy issues for more than two decades and specializes in government regulation, markets, finance, technology, environment, and agriculture. So quite a portfolio there. Diane, just to kick off the interview, much of the Trump administration's success has been in decreasing regulations. Can you give us some of the highlights of what he's done so far? Well, he has come in with a reform agenda, uh, which is really needed given that we've just been through eight years of an unparalleled regulatory expansion. Um, under the Obama administration, we added about $122 billion of uh, new regulatory costs each year. So what President Trump has done is come in and his first step was to freeze rulemaking until his folks had a chance to take a look at what rules were in the pipeline and whether they were necessary. This is good. And then he has um, told agencies to appoint a regulatory reform officer in every a regulatory reform officer in every agency. And uh, they've really slowed down the number of rules uh, that have been issued, probably about a third as much as George Bush did and that um, Obama did before him. We've seen with the Trump administration several successes when it comes to deregulating. What are some things that you're going to be looking for in the future? This is we're in this for the long haul. Uh, President Trump can, you know, he's only been in office for six months. And so whether he's going to um, ultimately succeed in really rolling back regulation, um, 
you know, we'll have to wait and see. And it's not that he alone can fix our regulatory problems. A big part of the problem is Congress. And Congress has to stop delegating uh, so much power to these agencies. Uh, Congress likes to say they fix problems, but what they really do is they write a bill and then they say, go fix this to the agency. And then they, they leave it to the agency you know, to write the rules. So Congress can say, oh, we took care of this, and then turn around and say, oh, but those terrible agencies wrote bad regulations. Right. So we need to really get Congress, um, you know, put the onus back on Congress for all the rules that they, or all the uh, power that they give to the agencies. So there's something called the RAINS Act, um, and that would require Congress to approve any new major regulation before it took effect. And I'm a big fan of that. And kind of taking a step back and looking at all of the regulations that the Obama administration implemented and what Trump has been working to roll back, how many regulations and estimate did Obama impose during his presidency? Altogether, it was about 23,000. Now, a, a chunk of those are administrative in nature. Okay. You know, they set um, fishery quotas and things like that. Um, but there's a, a, a core group of what we call major regulations, uh, and he uh, issued almost 300. Those are the rules that will cost uh, the private sector at least $100 million each year. So um, he really went on a, a bender. <laughs> <laughs> and looking at some of those regulations, what are some of the more absurd regulations you've seen come through? Yeah, you're going to get me in trouble here. Uh -oh. But <clears throat> one of the areas that we saw a real spike in rulemaking and costly rulemaking had to do with climate change. Okay. And, um, you know, those who are, are, you know, schooled in, in what's really going on, you know, in the climate. Um, and then you look at these rules, not only are they very costly, but they really won't do anything to change climate or to have an effect on, um, you know, changing the levels of uh, carbon dioxide enough to make, a, a, you know, a, a, an effect on the climate, if you even assume that that relationship exists. The largest, the most expensive rule last year uh, was from EPA. It was about $2.7 billion a year. And that was a greenhouse gas emission standard for um, medium-sized and large-sized trucks. Wow. Going back to the beginning of the Trump administration, we saw President Trump sign an executive order, which for every federal regulation an agency wanted to impose, they had to find two to get rid of. How successful do you think that was? And do you think it set the tone? I think it set the tone. Um, we'll have to see how successful it will be. Here's the problem with those kinds of fixes. Um, while I appreciate the, you know, the intent behind it, which is to, you know, get rid of um, rules that aren't necessary any longer. The problem is that the new rules are new costs. The old rules are old costs, and those are essentially taken care of. So there really isn't, you know, an, an e equality between the burden between the old costs and the new costs. But I, you know, I like the sentiment. I'm, you know, we can get these things off the books. There's many things we can get off the books. It's just not going to be. Um, the cure-all. 
And can you give us some other areas that President Trump should specifically target in regards to deregulation moving forward from today? Yeah, moving forward, he's, you know, and I think he does intend to do this, is is focus on um, the climate-related rules. They've sort of, you know, um, snaked their way into everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they need to look at rules that are um, hindering you know, investment and job creation in manufacturing in particular. Um, And I think they really need to pull back on the rules that um, manage people's lifestyle choices. You know, over the years, we've really made improvements in um, health and safety regulation. Mm -hmm. And when I say improvements, what I mean is that there, you know, our health and safety has improved dramatically. The environment is dramatically cleaner. And so left, you know, with less to do, agencies started turning to regulating um, our lifestyle choices. And I'm talking about the types of appliances that we buy, the types of cars that we buy, you know, what, what our, how our food is packaged, you know, a, a variety of things that um, have to do with you know, our lifestyles. And I, they need to get out of that. They need to get the government out of our our lifestyle choices. All right. Well, here's to uh, hoping that's, that's the direction that they go from here. Diane, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. Well, that was a great interview with Diane. If you want to find out more, she just recently wrote a piece on the Daily Signal called Deregulation Day Spotlights, Big Changes Trump is Bringing to Washington. And she can detail some of those uh most hated regulations that we spoke about earlier. Now we're going to move over to our Ask the Expert segment. Big thanks to Chairman Kevin Brady, who gave a a quote to Ginny um, on tax reform. So we'll kick it over to you, Ginny. Yeah, it was great. We want to thank him again. He was here last week for an event at Heritage, and I asked him how will tax reform benefit the American family, and he gave a great answer that I'm excited for the audience to hear. It lets Americans keep more of what they earn, you know, gives them uh, better paying jobs, bigger paychecks, and really a chance to pursue their American dream. Not what Washington wants for them, what they want for them. And boy, just the thought, can you imagine nine out of ten Americans being able to file their taxes with a simple postcard style system? Can you imagine how fair and simple that would be? So that's what we're delivering. Thank you so much, Chairman Brady. And now, Adam, Michelle, why not the fair tax solution? Thanks for the question. I I agree. It does make a lot of sense. When we're thinking about tax reform, we should always be moving towards a system that is flatter and fairer across the board, simpler, so we don't have all these different taxes compounding each other, one on top of the other. But unfortunately, the reality of where we are today is that is that we're we're talking about how do we get the economy growing again, and what are the what are what are those policies that are politically feasible, and that has come down to reforming our business tax system, trying to get a, a tax cut for for average Americans on the individual side, and and then piecing those two together. And that's the tax reform plan that came out this week. Uh, that that is a big step in the right direction, moving us towards a system that is that is flatter, fairer, and and then brings the jobs back from businesses that have moved overseas, that have are no longer investing here in America, and hopefully uh, turns those trends around and is a boost for Americans across the board. Thank you to Ginny Maltabano, uh, who's done a great job spearheading that new segment, Heritage's Ask 
the expert. We get those questions from our listeners, and we go around the building, and we find somebody who has a good answer to them, and we put them on the show. So um, if you like that segment, send us a question. And if you like listening to Mass Ave, be sure to check out another Heritage Foundation podcast called SCOTUS 101. Uh, Hosts Elizabeth Slattery and Tiffany Bates break down what's going on in the Supreme Court, what the justices are up to, and other things related to everyone's favorite branch of government. Uh, Check it out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple iTunes today. What a great time it will be to listen to that SCOTUS 101 podcast with the Supreme Court October session in full swing. A lot of interesting cases there this year. Um, The Masterpiece Masterpiece Cake Baker case, which we've talked about on Mm -hmm. the show. Uh, a, a case on, on Waters of the U.S., which I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, a case about uh, forced collection of union dues, um, and of course, um, influence from the newest justice, um, Neil Gorsuch. So a very interesting time to be listening to that podcast. Encourage everybody to check it out. Uh, we love our listeners. We love to have you. We love to have our input. But most of all, we want you to go onto iTunes and hit subscribe so that uh, you'll know when there's a new episode and we'll know that you're listening. Um, You can find us on Facebook at Mass Ave Podcast. Check us out on heritage.org and follow all of the Heritage Foundation outlets to keep up with the latest conservative news, policy, and insight from the steps of Capitol Hill. 